0: The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God as we have it summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 29, question and answer 78 and 79. There we confess as Church of Jesus Christ. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No, just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? Or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink, for our souls to eternal life but even more important he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge first that through the working of the holy spirit we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him and second that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Then he said in Matthew 26, after breaking the bread and giving it to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In the history of the Church, there have been different views on how these words are to be understood. It was an intensely debated matter, the time of the Reformation, when the Heidelberg Catechism was written. And therefore, the first question and answer of Lord's Day 29 speaks about this. The question reads, are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? Then the answer is given, no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. The sacraments are signs and symbols of what Christ has done for us. Jesus is speaking in figurative language and uses everyday things from our world to make the message of the gospel clearly understandable to everyone. Jesus does not only say that he is the bread of life, but also that he is the way and the gate for the sheepfold, for example. No one imagines that Jesus changed into a gate when he spoke those words. They are clearly symbols and images which are used so that we can rightly understand the message that Jesus is telling us. Then the next question and answer goes into more detail about the significance of the language that is used. Why then does Christ call the bread his body, And the cup, his blood, or the new covenant in his blood. And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? The short answer is that Christ and Paul speak in this way, so that the nature of the sacrament as a sign and seal should be clear to all believers. The sign of bread and wine show that we need Christ to be truly nourished in our souls and these symbols act as seals of the certainty of our participation in all that Christ has done on our behalf. Let us consider the significance of the Lord's Supper as participation in the body and blood of Christ by considering the passage that we read from 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul speaks about this participation. I proclaim to you God's word under this theme. At the Lord's Supper, we as believers participate in the body and blood of Christ. This participation involves first, rejecting idolatry, second, sharing in Christ, and third, being united with all believers. In chapter 10 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he refers to some events in the life of God's people in the past to encourage believers now. Paul writes of their forefathers who passed through the Red Sea unharmed because of God's strength and power. The Israelites had Moses as their leader. The unexpected expression baptized into Moses is used to show that Moses had the role of foreshadowing the mediator and Messiah who was to come. It is because the people followed Moses' command to go through the Red Sea that they were saved from the enemies which pursued them, Pharaoh and all his hosts. They trusted in God and in his servant Moses, and so were delivered from slavery to the king of Egypt. We hear this idea in the first prayer, in the form for infant baptism, when we pray. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. The Israelites went through the midst of the sea, out to life on the other side. This is a picture of what we may experience in the salvation which Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. As the Israelites continued on their journey to the promised land, they were fed by bread from heaven. And the Lord himself also provided them with water to drink from the rock. Now the man of which they ate was not able to help them live in communion with God forever. They needed something else for that. What was needed was Jesus Christ himself. He would bring the perfect sacrifice, which would actually obtain communion with God unending. They had to eat his body and blood and drink his blood, since that was the real spiritual food unto eternal life. Yet here in 1 Corinthians 10 the Apostle Paul writes that the Israelites in the desert did eat the spiritual food and drink the spiritual drink from the rock that followed them which was Christ. In what way was the manna and the water spiritual? And how was Christ present with them? On one level the manna And the water from the rock were physical food which helped the Israelites survive the trip through the wilderness. But on another level, the manna and the water from the rock can be said to be spiritual because they were clear gifts from the Lord. They were miracle foods. The bread came raining down from heaven and the water gushed from solid rock. All the Israelites received these gifts from God. It was very obvious to everyone that there was a living God who was taking care of them. In this way, the manna and the water had a deep spiritual significance. They knew that they had to depend upon the Lord alone and His provision for their very life. Without Him, they would have died in the wilderness. Other gods would not have, could not have helped them like this. And now Paul, with the perspective of the new covenant, which Christ has established, can say that the Israelites enjoyed these benefits from the Lord in anticipation of Christ's coming, because of the certainty of Christ's coming. The spiritual nourishment which they received from the Lord was given to them because Christ was sure to come. He would actually bring about reconciliation and forgiveness. It is the Messiah who stands behind all that God has done for his people. But the great tragedy of this account of the Israelites in the wilderness is that even though they had received these amazing gifts, yet they forsook the Lord their God time and again and went after the idols and false gods. The Lord rained food down on them, but that did not prevent them from leaving him and going after other gods. They chose not to receive his food and drink to life, but rejected it and paid for that rejection with their lives. They rejected the clear message of the glad tidings of God's eternal covenant and committed adultery with false gods. Paul writes in the verses 7 and 8, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. The event which Paul is referring to is when the Israelites had engaged in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. We can read about this in Numbers 25. The Israelite men also ate the sacrifices offered to false gods and bowed down to Baal of Peor, they participated in the sacrifices which were offered to this idol. In doing so, they became idolaters. They acted as those who rejected and despised the Lord's good gifts to them, and lived as if they did not need the Lord's food and drink, which could alone give life. Therefore the Lord also punished the Israelites severely for this sin against him. A plague came upon the people, and thousands of them died. All these things took place as examples for us. Paul writes in verse 6, that we might not desire evil, as they did. Let us all be warned by what happened to those who ate the spiritual food and drank from the Lord, but then turned against him and suffered his severe punishments. We must make a clear choice. Are we going to serve the Lord and worship him alone? Or are we going to stray over to the gods of this world and dabble in the pleasures which these idols offer us? The modern-day idols look different than Baal of Peor, but in, the, in essence, they are the same. Also in our day, many go after the false god of sexual immorality and are ensnared by lusts and unholy desires. Do we join them, or do we say no to immorality in all its forms? There are others who idolize money, their job, success, sports, and whatever else can turn into an idol for us. Paul makes it very clear that it is impossible to participate in the body and blood of Christ and in the pleasures of the world as well which he unambiguously calls the cup of demons. He writes in verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Therefore the call also comes urgently to us, Flee from idolatry. Let us all examine ourselves to see Whether or not we also seek after other gods, whether we seek our comfort and consolation in places other than in Jesus Christ. It is so easy for us to fall and to live hypocritical double lives, on the one hand participating in Christ and on the other hand also drinking from the cup of the world. But that is an impossible way to live. Just like it is impossible to drink out of two large cups at the same time. If you try that, you will not be very successful. And the end result is that you will receive no nourishment at all. As our Lord also said while he was on earth, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, For he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Beloved in the Lord, instead of going to the idols, let us rather drink only from Christ's blood. And let us eat only his bread, for it alone is the bread of life. All other cups and loaves are filled with a deadly poison and will lead to our death and destruction. The Lord our God alone is the living God, the maker of all things. He alone can deliver us from the power of the evil one and from the grip which sin has on us. He who was able to provide the Israelites with physical bread during their wilderness wanderings will also be able to take care of us and all of our present needs and struggles. Nothing is too difficult for him. We do not need to turn anywhere else for sustenance and nourishment. Our faithful God and Father is able to do it all for us. Idols will not provide any nourishment, but will only rob us of what we have in Christ. Let us therefore always continually recommit our lives to him alone each and every day. He is the only Savior and the only one who can reconcile us to God again. Let us examine ourselves and ask whether we turn only to Jesus Christ as our complete Redeemer and whether we flee away from everyone and everything else which seeks to take his exalted place in our lives. For flight from idolatry is the only sensible thing to do for those who are in Christ. As Paul writes in verse 15, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And then he goes on to speak of the Lord's Supper as participation the body and blood of Christ this participation involves in sharing in Christ and this takes us to our second point when Paul refers to the Corinthian believers as sensible people then he shows that he wants the Corinthians to listen to him not because they blindly follow Paul, but because they themselves realize that this is what they need to do in the sight of God. The Corinthians must consider the implications of partaking of the Lord's Supper. The cup is described as the cup of blessing. The Jews had the custom to speak a blessing to the Lord when the cup was raised before the meal. In this way they acknowledged that the Lord was the one who gave them all things. And now those who drank from this cup of blessing at the Lord's table are participants in the blood of Christ. Likewise, those who eat the bread are participants in the body of Christ. This bread is described as the bread which we break. For the body of Jesus Christ died completely and was broken under the weight of God's wrath. He underwent all the hellish agony so that we might be saved and delivered from it. He went there in our place. What Paul is saying here is that When the congregation partakes of the wine and the bread at the Lord's Supper table in true faith, then it has spiritual fellowship with Christ and acknowledges Him as the only one who can save them from their sins. When we partake of His body and blood in the bread and the wine, then we must certainly not eat from other sacrifices and partake of their body and blood. For it is only Christ who has offered the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Those who participate in the Lord's Supper share in Christ's true body and blood. And as the second answer of this Lord's Day stresses, this partaking and sharing in Christ gives us the rich assurance That all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. This answer reminds us of Lord's Day 23, where we confess concerning our justification by true faith in Christ. That God gives to us out of mere grace the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ... He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. This is the wonder of the gospel of the complete salvation which Jesus Christ our Lord has brought about for us. We were and are in ourselves totally incapable of doing any real good. There is nothing in ourselves which can satisfy the strict demands of God's justice. But when we partake of Christ in the bread and the wine, and thereby participate in his body and blood, then it is as if we ourselves had personally suffered paid for our own sins. So complete is Christ's redemption. Sharing in Christ involves more than just receiving the forgiveness of our sins. It also means a complete change in our lifestyle. For when we partake of Christ and share in Him, then He also sends to us His Holy Spirit. And He works renewal in our lives. And we become sanctified and learn more and more to put to death the sin which once reigned in us. Then we learn to rise up to a new life, a life which pleases God and gives him all the glory. When we share in Christ, then that also means that we share in his sufferings. And we will encounter difficulties in this life. Because we believe in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. Following Christ means taking the narrow, more difficult path rather than the broad way which the masses follow, which takes them to destruction. Let us also be prepared for these tribulations and face them with confidence because of the strength which the Lord gives to those who partake of his heavenly food and drink. For also in these things he will surely not let us down, but will give to us what we need to persevere in the service of his name. At the Lord's table we also receive a rich foretaste of another aspect of sharing in Christ. We may look forward to the fact that we will drink the wine with him again when the kingdom of heaven comes in its fullness on that great day. Then Jesus Christ will take us to himself and we will reign with him forever in the new world which he is preparing for us. Then we will celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb and become united with him in the fullest sense possible. For then there will be no more sin or pain anymore. But then our participation in his body and blood will be complete. And we will be transformed in our bodies and souls and made like Christ's glorious body. May this sure hope give us all a real confidence for the future, whatever our situation might be. Let us encourage one another with these words. This brings us to our final point that participation in the body and blood of Christ involves being united with all believers. When we, together, as a congregation of Jesus Christ, partake of the one body and blood of Christ. Then we experience a strong unity among ourselves as fellow believers in Christ. This unity is stronger than simply being like-minded on certain issues or having similar thoughts or ideas. We do not just form a loose collection of souls but rather, we as believers together, as those who partake of Christ, form one body, a single entity. Paul writes in verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The bread is baked out of many grains, just as we all as we are sitting here this afternoon, are many different people. Yet once the bread is baked, it forms one loaf, one bread. And when we all partake of the same bread, then we form one body. We all receive our nourishment from Christ alone. We all share in Christ only. And therefore we are all united with him in body and soul we are grieved that this unity cannot yet be as fully expressed as we would like but we trust that the day is coming soon when we may worship all together as one body the unity of the body of christ brings many joys and also many responsibilities because of this unity we may receive the communion of saints in difficult times and also help one another when the need arises. When one member suffers, then we all suffer. When one member rejoices, then we all rejoice. Let us also concretely show that we share the same Saviour, that we are part of the same body. May we seek each other out. And not be isolated in our own blood family groupings when it really comes down to it our spiritual family is more important and deeper and fuller and richer than our physical family the Lord has brought us together as one body in Christ let us truly live this reality out let us truly be of help to one another in all things of the Lord. It is in this way that the Lord is pleased to help his children and show to them how wonderful it is to have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the only Savior. May we warn one another to forsake the way of idolatry and sin, which can only lead to death, even to eternal death. Let us rejoice in the fact that we share in Christ and all his benefits, and may that also make life worth living for us. We are one body with Christ as our head. How good it is that we may live out of the joy and peace which this brings. When we participate in the body and blood of Christ, then we will together receive from the Lord the blessing of the life which never ends. How amazing that is. The Lord Jesus is gathering his worldwide church from all nations. He watches over it in mercy. He perfects it in his love, cleansed and conformed unto his will. Amen. Let us now sing together hymn 61, stanzas 1 and 2.